have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to 1 John. We made it into the second chapter, but chapter 1 is not long, so we'll just get a running start and go through it, right? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. He established last time that the writer here, the Apostle John, is referring to the word, the second person in the Trinity. We know him as the Lord Jesus Christ, who was from the beginning, the word of life, who the Apostle there had seen with his own eyes, handled him, able to rest his head upon his breast there at that Last Supper. Right? For the life was manifested, it was revealed, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us, revealed unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that, why? Why is he declaring it? That ye may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We also established at great lengths that this letter is written unto believers, those who already know the truth. And so how do you have your fellowship with other believers grow and walk with the Lord, grow and be closer? Well, that's why the purpose of the message is the letter that was written here. That's one of the reasons that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, and these things write unto you, that your joy may be full. Where are you looking for joy at? Are you looking for it in the things of this world? If that's it, your joy will never be full. All right. If you want to have your fellowship with fellow believers, you want to have your fellowship closer with the Lord, and you want your joy to be full, keep listening. All right. This, then, is the message which we've heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Is there anything sinful about God? Not a bit. Is there anything that he desires that's wrong? No, absolutely not. Therefore, if we're doing anything that's wrong, does it please him? No, right? This is a, you should say duh, but this is an obvious bright line statement, but there are deceivers who will try to convince you that whatever you want to do, even though it's wrong, is really okay with God. And that's not the case. God is light. He is righteous. He is holy. He is pure. And He doesn't change. And there's no darkness with Him at all. Okay, That's just truth. But we need that truth to establish, okay, how do we react to that? If we say we have fellowship with Him, okay, I'm, I'm declaring, I've got fellowship with God the Father, and walk in darkness, will lie, and do not the truth. And again, we're talking about, this letter's written to believers, and the pronoun's we, so it's talking about we. We say, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ, yeah, I've got fellowship with Christ. And yet my life, I abide in darkness and in sin and pursuing the things of this world, I am lying. I'm not where he's at. I'm where it says he's not. Right? We do not the truth. We don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we do have fellowship. We have fellowship one with another, with each other. There's mutual fellowship between you and God and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Okay? In the big picture, it's cleansed you perfectly. Right? On the cross, your sins are paid for. They're put away. They're as far as the east is from the west. And yet you know that being mortal, corrupt creatures who have desires and lusts that invariably, every day, lead you to some sin... In your daily walk with the Lord, as you're trying to abide in that light and abide in Him, you will need a daily reminder and cleansing of those sins every single day. Not for God the Father's benefit. He already knows what the Son has done, and your account is clear. 
but for your benefit as you're still living here and not getting bogged down and weighed under and under and under this weight, being reminded by that you have that one who sits on the right hand of the Father interceding on in your behalf saying, yes, this one's mine. I paid for that too, right? It talks about that in chapter 2. So if we say we have no sin, right? So we got ditches here. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If someone comes up and teaches you that you can attain a sinless life here in this world, or worse yet, you think, I have attained a sinless life, it says you are deceiving yourself. You ain't that good. <laughs> right? That's what we're groaning against. That's why we're to take up our cross daily, to mortify, to, to put to death the old man every day. This is, this is a battle. You will have an internal battle every day for the rest of your life of your old man, your carnal nature, the one who wants the stuff of the world and the shinies and the whatever, and the new man, the new creature created by God. When you're born again, you will battle against that. And so if you get so far over here in your self-righteousness to say, well, I've put him down completely and I don't have to deal with that, <laughs> you've deceived yourself, right? And the truth is not in us. If, however, we confess our sins, and again, Brother Dean pointed out, to confess is just basically to agree with God. You acknowledge, yes, God, you're right. I did wrong. He knew you'd done wrong all along. But you're coming to a point where you're humbling yourself and agreeing, yes, Lord, I've done wrong. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, well, we make him a liar. That's saying, what I did, God, wasn't really wrong. Well, somebody's got to be wrong. Either you're wrong or God's wrong. And if you're trying to get, tell God it wasn't a sin, then you are, in fact, calling the God of this universe, of whom there is no darkness and is only light, you're calling him a liar. That's a bold claim. And we don't think about it in those terms when we're trying to justify ourselves to God, but that's what we're doing. All right? My little children, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. All right, there's a lot of reasons for this letter, right? Your fellowship with other believers and with the Father and the Son, right? That your joy may be full and that you sin not. And they're all connected, right? You want to have more joy? Have closer fellowship with the Lord? Spend less time in sin, right? If any man sin, which you will, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. All right, propitiation. Why is he the perfect advocate? Because he's the one who's able to sit there and say, I paid for that one. And that which was unfavorable and disgusting and vile, you can now look on with favor, right? Remember, look at that word propitiate means to regard with favor to render favorable how did he do that he did that by offering himself to pay the price for your sins freely voluntarily and so he's the one who's there with the judge the father and he is interceding and advocating on your behalf so if you sin you have one that's the one you're confessing your faults to he's the one who is there interceding and advocating on your behalf. He is the propitiation for our sin, the one who has rendered us now favorable in God's eyes. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world, the whole family of God. There's one way, one way to be found favorable in the eyes of God. It's Jesus Christ alone. There's no other option. There's no other alternative. All right, and the assignment I gave you all last week was to look up and keep track of how many times the word know, as in understand or uh, to see. Hereby we know that we know him, this first appearance. I don't know how many times y'all counted. I think I counted about 40. Um, but here's one of the first things we know. Hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Hereby do we know. Here's a way that we can be assured that we truly know him who's him. Jesus Christ, our Lord, the one that we've just said is our advocate, the propitiation for our sins, the righteous. How do we know that we know Jesus? Well, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. 
it's not a cause of knowing him. It's a symptom. If you know him, you'll keep his commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's what he said. Right? Knowing and loving. Those are very connected ideas. Right? He that saith, give an example, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Right? It's one thing to say, yeah, I know Christ, and take his name and put it on there as a badge of honor, and yet my life looks nothing like his. <clears throat> if I don't care what he says, if I don't pursue with my whole heart after him and what he said, I'm just a liar. Lord, help us in that. I know him, if he, he that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandment, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. In other words, you can't have it both ways. You can't claim to be a follower of Christ and then just follow the world. It doesn't work. One who knows the Lord, it will show up in your life. You will live it out. Will that mean you're sinless and perfect? No. See previous verses. You won't be sinless and perfect, but the tenor of your life will look different. Whosoever keepeth his word, and that word keepeth means to guard, to hedge, to keep in mind, to observe closely. Whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Perfected. Um, want some grammar? That word perfective is in the perfect tense. And in Greek, that says that the action is completed, but the results continue on fun. So you've got a love that's been put into you by God. His love's been put upon you and it's been perfected, being completed or filled and yet the results continue on. You've been born again. He's put His Holy Ghost within you and the results from that continue on. Okay. Another fun thing about this grammar, it's passive. The subject is the recipient of the action. Alright? God the Father is acting upon us. We're the beneficiary of that love. And now those results are borne out in our life. All right? One dictionary I looked up, um, this word, says the love of God perfected. It says this is the effectiveness of God's love in the believer that demonstrates itself horizontally as it is received from above. All right? So it's God's love that's been put down upon you and that is as it is fulfilled and its results are manifest horizontally. That means to those around you, right? It shows how effective it is in changing you, right? You've been created a new creature, created unto good works, right? And so that creature that's been created to, it lives it out. It demonstrates that love from above. This expression of the love of God being perfected appears again over in chapter 4 and uh, verse 12. First John four twelve. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. That loving one another, that's that demonstration horizontally of what's already gone on, that he already abides in us and his love is perfected within us. Okay? So if we love one another, that is the outward symptom of some inward causes, right? That God abides in us, he dwells in us, that we abide in him, that God dwells within us and his love is perfected in us. All right? Whosoever keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Not only do we know him, we're in him. And we can know that because they're keeping his word. You're guarding and observing his word. You're living it out among those who are around you. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk. 
even as he walked. All right, he that saith, that's us. He that saith, he abideth in him. Who's him? Jesus Christ. You say, I abide in Christ. Then we should walk as Christ walked. All right. Can we do that if we don't know what Christ did or said? Not real easily. Right? We're born again. God does write his law in your hearts, and you 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 know right from wrong. But he's given you his word so that you can know his word and abide in his word and abide in Christ. And so we should value it. We should spend time in it and look and see how Christ walked and then apply that, apply his teaching, apply his teaching. So what are some of the effects that if you, um, if God dwells within you, one is you keep his word. It's an outward effect. You keep his word. Next, it's you walking as he has walked. And verse 7 gives us another outward effect that we'll see. Is that you love one another. Now here, it's, it's given in reference. Um, we'll establish what the reference is, but let me just tell you, it means love one another. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but a commandment which he had from the beginning. All right, so that's the code there. The commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Jump over to chapter... Oh, where is it? I think it's in chapter 3. 11. Yep. There you go. 3.11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Is that a new commandment? No. That's that which was from the beginning. Right? That you should love one another. Now this goes back, you know, Deuteronomy about loving your neighbor. Right, um, And Jesus would make it explicit um, when he would frame it as a new commandment I give unto you um, at the end of his earthly ministry that you would love one another as I have loved you. And this is not just talking about the world at large. This is talking about your brothers and your sisters in Christ. You should love them more than just the neighbor. Right? the new commandment that you have from the beginning, that you love one another. Now, 8 says, again, a new commandment I write unto you. So we've got something else going on. I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. All right, so the original commandment is to love one another. The old one was the new one. Go down to chapter 3 and verse 23. First John 3.23 And this is His commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son Jesus Christ and love one another as He gave us commandment. All right? So before the light came there wasn't a commandment to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? He's the light. He's the light come into the world and the darkness hated it. Right? The world loved darkness more than light because their deeds were evil. You can see that. Um, oh, I was back in the book of John. Let's see if we can find it real quick. Flip fingers. John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse 19. This is the Gospel of John, as opposed to 1 John. This is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. 
But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So if you are laboring in your service to God, you have no problem coming to the light. You want to be in the light. You want the truth to be shown. But if you're not, you don't want to have anything to do with it. Um, worked an attorney at a company, right? Auditing happens. If your company is generally doing things above board, audits are annoying, but they're not terrifying. If you're at a company where they consistently do shady stuff, audits are very problematic. You don't want that light shown on your books, right? And so this is the difference that we have of when we have confidence towards God, we know that we're not doing it perfectly, but we're trying to follow his word and to keep it, and we don't fear to come in the light. Versus when you're doing a life of shady stuff that folks don't know about, and you act like God doesn't know about, he does. And you really don't want that to come to light. Right? But Jesus is that light, right? He's the discerner. He's the revealer. He's the one who makes things plain. He was referred to as the light back in chapter 1. That all things were made by him as the word. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And that light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. He didn't understand it. He is that true light, down in verse 9, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, referring to the Jews, and his own received him not. Let's go back to 1 John. 1 John. So that's your new commandment. I write unto you, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and love one another. It's a combo, one-two punch. Can't separate them. The darkness is past. The true light now shineth. Jesus is eternal. He's always existed. And yet he's been revealed. And so now you're commanded. Believe on him. The darkness is past, the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light. Yeah, I'm in the light. I have fellowship with God. I know Jesus. And hateth his brother is in darkness even unto now. Alright. Claiming to be in the light and walking in the light and having fellowship with the Lord and still hating your brethren. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a problem. Hate. Word means to detest, especially to persecute. It appears four different times in this little letter. Three of them referring to against brothers. Um, And one is referring to the world hating you. That hate's okay. Expect that. Christ told you to expect that. looked up in an expanded dictionary Strong's number 3404 um, says hatred it's towards a person implying active ill will in words and or conduct and it stands opposite to love to detest somebody now go over to chapter 5 and verse one, we're going to use some old school words, but it's going to make the point real clear. Hope so. Whoever, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. How do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? You've already been born of God. God acted first. The result is you believe. All right, so whosoever believes that Jesus is Christ is born of God. 
and everyone that loveth him, if you believe Jesus is the Christ, you love him, everyone that loveth him, that begat, loveth him also, that is begotten of him. If you love God, if you love his son, you're going to love the people that he has given life to as well. That he is born again. Do they have great, great value in God's eyes? Yes! He sent his only son to die for them. He cherishes them. He loves them. He says, I love you so much, I'm willing to send my my son to die for you and to take you to be with me. Does he love them? Yes. Do you love the Lord? I sure hope so. If you love him, then you love those that he has born again, that he has begotten, that he has created. You love his children. You're adopted brothers and sisters. Right? There's no hierarchy in the adoption scheme. Right? There's son, the son, the, the one and the only, right? God himself, the one who thought it not equal to be, robbery to be equal to God. Yeah, he's at a higher tier than us. <laughs> but the rest of the family of God, from generation beginning to the last one, we're all in the same family plane, if you will, Right? You, know, you get your, your immediate cousins, then you go out, and you got some other cousins, and some of the others, you're like, I have no idea who you are. We see you at the family union. Some you have no idea, right? It's not that degrees of separation, okay? There's one unit, and it's brother and sister. That's how close we are. You have been adopted into the immediate family of God the Father by the work of His Son. And so if you love him, you will love his children. Okay? I write these things that your fellowship will be with us and with the Father and Son, that your joy may be full and that you sin not. Can children of God fall into a trap of where they have animus and hard feelings and bitterness Dwell in their heart against brothers and sisters in Christ. You'd be a fool if you said no. Right? Y'all have all lived long enough to see how we as humans can do wrong. Right? How many churches over the years have split over hurt feelings? Because somebody got something in their crawdad and they didn't let it get out for 20, 30 years until there was such a root of bitterness that grew up to be this whole oak tree of bitterness. Right? Is he writing this for the hypothetical outside the world? No, he's writing it for us. I want your fellowship within the church and brothers and sisters and believers outside the church. Right? Because there are believers outside of the church. I want your fellowship to be great and have greater fellowship with Father and the Son. That your joy can be full. You know what's going to zap your joy? Bitterness, anger, wrath malice, envy, all those things that in other letters it's told to put away from us, right? All those things are a summary for hatred to detest. Now, there's sometimes people get into uh, positions of hatred because they feel like somebody's got something better than I do. Well, what's the root of that? Jealousy, envy, and covetousness. Sometimes it's the other end of the spectrum. Well, I'm better than they are. Well, that's self-righteousness and braggadociousness and pride. Right? Those are all root issues, but they manifest themselves in a poor interaction, a poor treatment of those who Christ died for. You don't have to have something in common with body with somebody in the worldly sense in order to love them. If they're a believer, a child of God, you've got something in common with them with them. The Father loves you as much as he loves them. If you love him, you're told to love them. Right? That's the natural outflow. Do not feel like you can be okay with your walk with God and hold her bitterness and anger and wrath, hatred towards a brother and sister in Christ. You cannot have it both ways. 
You cannot sit there and stew about somebody and feel like I'm okay with God. Alright? Your walk will be hindered. And it's not because God's walking away from you. You're not walking where He is in the light. Why do you think there's so many verses on reconciliation? Not because there's not going to be problems. It's because you have to deal with problems. Right? Proactively, individually, in the right way, and with a meek and humble spirit, all motivated by love. Right. Right. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in the darkness, even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in light. And there is none occasion of stumbling in him. All right. Occasion of stumbling. That's a fun expression. Look this one up. Literally, it means the trigger of a trap, which when baited, and is, the trigger is touched, it springs, causing entrapment. It's kind of a vivid word picture there. Now, in this context, it's a knot. There's no occasion of stumbling. And so if you are walking around with bitterness and anger and hatred and malice towards brothers and sisters, you're creating traps for yourself. Which, figuratively, you can have this behavior, and what will it produce? Ruin, destruction, pain. Ever got your foot caught in a bear trap? I can't imagine it'd be pleasant. Don't set them for yourself or others. Okay? But if you're loving your brother and you're abiding in the light, there's no occasion of stumbling. There's no danger of setting out these booby traps for yourself or others. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because the darkness hath blinded his eyes. I think I gave you all the definition for this a few weeks ago. Remember I looked up the word grudge. The definition was cherished anger. Cherished anger. If you enjoy that grudge and stewing on it and chewing on it more than you enjoy the fellowship with the Lord, you're walking in darkness, and that darkness is blinded. You don't know what the way you're going. You may think, I've still got fellowship with God. I'm walking with Him. I'm still checking the right outward boxes. But if I've got that in my heart, and that shows up in my actions in my life, and it will, right? you're in darkness. You don't know where you're going. Right? Now, verse 12. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you, for his name's sake. Again, the audience of this letter, it's believers. You've got various people on the spectrum of growing up as a child of God. When you're first born again, you're a little baby Christian, right? you could be described as a little child. There's nothing wrong with that, except for the fact that we're told we need to grow. Grow up. Grow up in grace. Grow up in love. Grow up in knowledge. Right? Why do you think the aged sisters are instructing the younger sisters how to love their husbands and love their children? Right? There's, there's some education that goes on in how to increase our love and let our love abound more and more and more. Right? It doesn't just all happen. Right? You're not born again and suddenly you're a mature redwood tree. Right? There's a growth process. Right? But what, little children, what do you, what do you know? I write unto you because your sins are forgiven you. Because you're so good? No. For Jesus' name's sake. That's basic. That's true. Hold on to that. Little children, you should be able to know that. Right? His sins, your sins, excuse me, your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. Right? Now, what about your brothers and sisters? About this whole context? Are their sins forgiven too? Yeah. Because they've done so good? Well, the same reason. Right? For his name's sake. You know him, you're abiding in him, and you love him, you love them. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, all right? So this could be this could be the aged in the, the, the who's receiving the letter. They could be literally old. Or they could be aged as in they were father as in mature. They've grown up. They've gone through the ups and downs and the valleys, and they've grown up in Christ. And so I write unto you, fathers. Because you've known Him, that is from the beginning. Well, if you've known Him, these are men who are, and sisters most likely, who are keeping His commandments, who are living it out, who've walked the walk, right? These are the pillars of the church, those aged ones who are demonstrating by their life what that walk looks like. <coughs> 
And by doing that, they're showing, I've known him. You've known him. Who's him from the beginning? The Word. Jesus Christ. Right? Because to know him, it changes who you are now. Right? It's not just a badge. It's not a pin that you wear. It's not a bumper sticker. Heaven help us, because our bumper stickers tend to be a poor reflection of our attitudes, or they should be, right? It's often a disconnect there. But it's lived out. I write unto you, fathers, because you've known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. Overcome. Overcome to, to subdue. Wow. And so, young children, you know your sins are forgiven. And there's a point when, as a young man, you can realize you've overcome. Because right? you're so good. <laughs> no, but you recognize that Christ is so good and He's overcome the world. Right? That's uh, John 16. Back to John 16. 32. Behold, the hour is come, is now come, that ye should be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet, I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. What's about to happen? You got one more chapter, um, and then he's going to be arrested that night, and then he's going to be, you know, mock trial and tortured and killed. And so, some of the last things he's saying, he says, Y'all are all going to scatter. I'm going to be left alone, but not really alone, because I've got the Father. And these things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So Sarah was mentioning in our prayer time that there's a lot of folks who are really distressed on what's going on over in the Middle East. Right? Guess what? We still report to the same one who's still in charge. He's still ruling and reigning. And however he chooses to wrap this thing up, that's on him. And he's got it. He's worthy of our trust. Men can't mess it up. They can't defeat him. Right? He's told us that there's peace in him. And don't fear because he's overcome the world. Right? So, are there external circumstances that could make you fearful if you focused on them? Sure! But how many times does Scripture say, Fear not! Fear not. 365? Really? I don't know if that's real or not, but that'd be a nice round number, right? A fear notting, you know, one day for every, <laughs> one for every day of the year. Fear not. Fear not. And what's always the reason? Him. The one who's in charge. The one who knows. The one who you are trusting and depending upon. Is he worthy of your trust? Yeah, right. You trust people who do what they say they're going to do and they've got the ability to follow through. Does God ever lie? No, he can't lie, right? It's contrary to his nature, because he's pure and holy. There's no darkness in him. Does he have the power to follow through on what he says? Yeah, he's the only one, right? He's got all power, right? He's worthy of our trust, all right? So I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one, right? There are going to be battles um, that we fight on a day-to-day -day basis where we are battling over the deceitfulness of Satan, right? He's described as being a, a, a lurking lion out there, waiting to see who he can devour. He cannot separate you from the love of God, but he can invite you into the darkness. And he's going to put it in appealing ways that appeal to your inner darkness. Those lusts of the flesh that, that, that appeal to you. The ones that you know, you're drawn to may not be the same ones that I'm drawn to, but they're both wrong. And so it'll be a customized plan, tag, targeted audit, uh, you know, Targeted ads. I turned that off on my phone. I kind of wish I'd turn it back on so maybe they'll show me some good things because you know, if you're looking for Scripture all the time, maybe they'll send you that instead of garbage. But he knows what you desire, right? And so these young men, you've overcome the wicked one. You're going back to who's in charge, who's really overcome them, recognizing that you don't have to be fearful of Satan, right? That expression, get thee behind me, Satan. Those are Jesus' words. That's not for you and I to say. We just go talk to the boss, all right? Lord, I need help with this situation. Lord, show me that door of escape, this thing that I'm tempted to do. I know you've told me there's a door of escape. Show me, give me the courage to walk through it because you're not a slave to sin anymore, all right? It, you're not in bondage to it. You've been made free, all right? I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. Man, 
little children, if you don't know anything else, you know that your sins have been forgiven you for Jesus Christ's sake, and you know the Father. How do you know the Father? Because you know the Son. How do you know the Son? Because you know the Father, right? They're, they're in a mix. You can't have one without the other, and that's what's going to be addressed a little bit farther. There's going to be those who are coming and saying, you don't need the Son. He's not real. He's not really real. Right? That's, that's the spirit of Antichrist, is those who are saying Jesus is not the Christ. Right? Verse 14, I have written unto you fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Alright, so fathers, man, it's the same thing, right? It's repeated. You've known him that is from the beginning. How special is that? You know and have known. Right? There's a period, a long period of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? That's his audience. That's who he's writing to. Right? I can't I can't teach you the son. I can't introduce you to him. He introduces himself. And then I can point you in his word that explains more about him. But you have known the Father. I've written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you. How are you strong? In your own strength? No, you're strong in the Lord. And the word of God abideth in you. Does the word of God abide in you today? I'm, 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 I want us to seriously consider this. Of what, what portion of our time is the word... It's, it's spent in the Word, abiding in the Word. I mean, if we want the Word to dwell in us richly, if we want to store it up in our heart, you know, there's, you got to put some diligence into that, some effort, right? But Danny Wisner stopped by Friday, and he was, we were talking, and he made the point about, you know, how often do folks say, oh, I just didn't have time to read my Bible, right? And he wanted to say, well, let me, let me look at your screen time on your phone how many hours on a day could you find to whatever the preference is but you can't find time to read the word right if this is our daily bread we need this for sustenance and you only come to eat for you know 45 minutes to an hour to hour and 15 minutes however long the preacher goes on Sunday mornings and you don't eat the rest of the week you're on starvation rations you don't feel close to the Lord? Are you walking with Him? Are you abiding in His Word? We can do better. I can do better. Like I do this all week and I can do better. Abiding in His Word. Where it's not a chore, but we're going and seeking and studying. Oh, right? There's some labor involved in that. Yeah. Preachers told to study yourself, show study to show thyself approved, right? Now that's true for y'all too. Right? If I ever get up here and say something that's not true, I want y'all to be the first ones who corner me afterwards and say, Hey, I was reading over here and you forgot about this. And then I can come up and give a retraction, right? Um, right? This is how you're not deceived and led astray by bad doctrine, right? One sorry preacher can lead a whole lot of people astray if they're not rooted and grounded in the truth. Right? But if you've got a congregation who reads and studies and, and fact checks, right? there's nothing wrong with checking them against the real facts, um, then you're less likely to be led astray. You can be more discerning. Right? You're strong and the word of God abideth in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Go a little bit longer. Love not the world neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But... He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Somebody used the expression when I was talking to him last week of what is the eternal value of that activity? Now, if you're coming from a workspace doctrine, that could be very problematic. But understanding the truth that we know that you know, our salvation is of Jesus Christ alone, there are things that we do and pursue 
that have no eternal value, right? And to equate eternal values, does this please the Lord? Does it glorify Him? Or is it the stuff of the flesh, the, the pride of the eyes, right? The, the things that I'm doing and seeking, you know whether it's of the Lord or whether it's not, right? The shiny things or the things that appeal to your baser instincts. And I'm not sure how else to describe that right now. But there's aspects of things that... Lust just means desire, right? But generally it's desiring that which is wrong, that which is forbidden, that which is not right. Desiring the things that are in the dark, right? The things that you do in the dark because if you did them in light, it would be grotesque, right? It says all that, loving that, that doesn't come from God. That's not a manifestation that you love God, right? Don't be led astray who are engaging in those things and saying, yeah, it's fine, you can have it both ways. No, it's, it's not. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, right? the things that your flesh desires, the lust of the eyes, the things that you look at and crave, right? the pride of life, those things that you want just so you can brag about and put other people down, look what I've got. Right? Yeah. That's out of the Father. So the world, the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. You know, if you got that thing, and a hundred years passed, where is it? Where are you? Most likely, you're dead, and it's dust or rust. Go forward a thousand years, right? So these are chasing fleeting vanity things. But living a life in service to the Lord, that doesn't expire, right? He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Why? Because of that word of life, from that eternal life, in whom life dwells and in whom he has put that life in you and I. Right? This is a daily choice we have. Right? We talk about choices. Am I going to serve God today first with my whole heart? Or am I going to choose to serve myself and give lip service to God. Right? Ever heard the expression, talk is cheap? It is. Right? You ever had a schmarmy sales guy come up to you and they're just, oh, 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 I'm your best buddy, and then you can see him walk away and they just turn it off? Right? Talk is cheap. We don't need to be schmarmy sales guys to God. Right? If we're going to be his follower, if we're going to be his disciple, if we're going to learn of him, do it. Do it with your whole heart, whatsoever you do. Do it with your whole heart and unto Him. But this is a different level than just Sunday morning Christians. This is a different level than just, you know, I put this, this picture of a verse on my Instagram and then I go live completely opposite the rest of the time, right? How is the tenor of our life? And again, I'm not saying you must be sinless and perfect. I can't set that standard for you because you can't get there. God's standard is perfect. And that's one of the great things about heaven is that when you get there, you'll be able to realize what that is. To be free from having those lusts of the other stuff. And to serve Him with a pure heart and have unfettered joy. That's, that's something to look forward to. What a day that will be, right? Walking in that heavenly sunlight. And so His standard is perfect. Y'all, we've got to serve him today. Right? And let's be honest. We can do better. I can do better. You can do better. Let's not muddy the waters and say, well, this is really okay. We've gotten just far enough to the line. We're not really over it. It's not really a sin yet. Does it glorify God? Does it please him? Does it edify those around me? Does it show love to those around me? those three boxes aren't checked, then you probably don't need to be doing it. Or I don't need to be doing it, right? David, do I need to come down there? Okay. We have an opportunity. It's called today. This is the only opportunity we've been given to serve. He may give us another one tomorrow. He may not. He's not obligated to. And this world will have tribulations. Yeah. It could all go.
crazy. And it could be, you know, outlawed tomorrow to gather together. We may gather in a different spot. We'll continue to do what's right as long as we're giving it. But we've got today. Are you going to start serving him today? Or are we going to continue to do that? Well, when such and such occurs, then I can. If I get this in order, then I can. If I have this and then I can, right? How often do we use that excuse? Right? Jesus say, if things are perfect, follow me. Right? If there's no issues in your life, now follow me. It was follow me now. To the exclusion of those other things. Well, what if what if I have this 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 thing over here that's going to distract me? I've got to do this, whether it's work or family or hobbies or whatever. Well, which do you love more? Right? That's how we make choices. That's how we prioritize. What do we value more? What do we love more? Who are you told? Who are you told and expected, and who's a reasonable obligation for you to love the most? What's the great commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, body, strength. Like everything you got, it should be Him first. Do our choices reflect that? Most days, no, right? They say, I love me first. Right? This is, this is rubber meets road stuff, right? This is evaluating our lives and how can I please? How can I serve without trying to murky up the waters, right? That's what politicians do, right? They murky up the waters so you can't really see what's right or wrong or particularly what they're doing, right? Don't look behind the curtain, right? We go to the light. We go to the Word to see what is right, what is true, and then we follow that as closely as we can. Don't try and stay in the shade. Don't try and stay in the murkiness. Seek the light. Seek the Lord. Serve Him today. Lord, help us to do that. And love one another while we're doing it.